Hello and welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Jill Pelkey, and it's my prayer that this podcast will help you to activate your faith as you explore the Bible, and it'll help you to activate your very life as you apply the Bible and love God and serve people. Let's pray, and then let's get right in to the Word of God. Jesus, we come before you today so thankful for your Word, so thankful for the Bible. It sets us free. It sets us on the right path. It's a lamp unto our feet. It helps us to know where to go. And so, God, I pray that today our hearts would be so soft to hear what you would say. Our ears would be very open to what you would speak to us. Jesus, speak through me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the valley of trouble. And I think that we all can relate to a time or a season or years where we have felt like we are in the valley of despair, the valley of trouble. Of course, there's times and seasons where we are on the mountaintop and we are as happy as can be and things are going great, but there's also those seasons where we're in trouble. And the Bible talks about that in a lot of different ways and a lot of different areas. So we're going to take a look at the valley of trouble today. We're going to look at a few examples of people in the Bible who experienced these deep valleys. The first person we're going to look at is Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet for God who was told to go to a specific people group, and he didn't want to go. So he got on a boat going in the opposite direction, gets thrown overboard when a storm comes, and they find out he's the cause of it. Then a big giant fish, a big giant whale-like fish comes and swallows him up, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days. And as he prays to God, he gets spit out, onto the shore of what do you know, the people that he's supposed to go and preach to. He goes and he preaches and the people repent. They turn from their wickedness and turn towards God. Now, Jonah has seen these miracles. He has experienced supernatural miracles. And as soon as all this is over, he's sitting out on the outskirts of the city, looking over the city, and he tells God that he's angry And this is how it goes in Jonah chapter 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided, God provided, a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I think that we've all been there. We've seen God do miraculous things And then we get mad about something so trivial. It's like the amazing church experience and the fight on the way home. It's like the amazing time spent with God and then the next day saying, I give up and I quit. And in verse 9, it says, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left? And that's how the, the chapter ends. 
with God rebuking Jonah saying, you care more about this plant than the big situation in front of you, which is all of these people. And so many times in our lives, we concentrate on this very small thing right in front of us. And we make it into this valley of despair, this valley of trouble. When there's something so much bigger and God says, open your eyes, look around. There's something bigger I want you to see here. There's something more than what you're facing right at this moment. Look beyond yourself and your own personal trouble. Look at the trouble of the entire world around you. And so Jonah is an example of a man who saw God move and then wanted to die over something so trivial as a plant. The Israelites were like this too, the called out nation of God. They were rescued, I mean rescued from slavery in miraculous ways. They saw signs and wonders and amazing things and they were literally let go of slavery, hundreds of years in slavery and they were let go out into the desert to worship God, out into this desert where God promised a promised land for them to go. And here they are free. And we look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 11. Then they said to Moses, who had led them, who was the leader who led them out of slavery. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? They are literally complaining about being delivered from slavery. They are literally complaining and saying, send us back to slavery. They're in the valley of despair. Us too, sometimes. God delivers us from a very, very, very bad situation. And the very next day we're complaining, saying, why don't we just go back to that bad situation? And God, who sees the end from the beginning, who sees so much more than us, says, stop looking back to your bad situation. I have something so much better for you if you would just keep your attention on me. Again, the Israelites complain in the book of Numbers 21, verse 5. They spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. We see just a similarity between the Israelites and Jonah. In Jonah's uh, account, God had provided a tree for them. In this account, God had provided food for them, manna, but it wasn't good enough. So many times, us too. Same with us. God provides, but we say, it's the wrong color, it's the wrong shape, it's the wrong way, it's the wrong volume, it's the wrong, it's I would rather... And the God of the universe looks down at us, the little people on earth. We have to realize he knows better than we know. His plan for us is good. And if this group of Israelites had just waited, God would provide everything that they needed. He would have brought them into the promised land. But because of their disobedience and their sinful hearts, their complaining and their groaning, that generation never saw the promised land. It was the generation after them. We see also the account of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He had seen God move supernaturally, calling down fire from heaven and consuming a sacrifice, proving that he was God and that the false gods of Baal were not God. So in 1 Kings 19, after all this had happened, Elijah, 1 Kings 19, verse 4, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
And Elijah is saying what we've all said too. We've seen God do mighty, miraculous things, delivering us, proving himself, proving himself to us. We have had God prove himself to us. And then we turn around and say, I've had enough. I quit. After Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the life of a human being, was accused and beaten and killed on our behalf, later to rise again. And we say, God, you know what? We've had enough. It's too hard, too long, too much. And many of us, we say these same words that Elijah said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than anyone else. Just kill me now. And he joins the chorus of Jonah and the Israelites. And he joins the chorus of so many of us who have called out and said, God, I know you. I've seen you move. You've proved yourself. You've provided for me, but I quit. I am in the valley of despair in my church because I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like this. And the God of all the universe says, wait a minute, I see farther beyond what you see. Stop looking at your problem and look that the whole world has something so much bigger. Stop looking that your broom or your tree, your shade like Jonah isn't enough and start looking that there's thousands of people that don't know me yet. In your church, stop looking at yourself and look at the big picture. In your church, stop crying out that you don't like the flavor of the food that God has given you. He's given you food. Let it be enough. Don't be like, the, like Jonah, like the Israelites, like Elijah, who say they quit. We say we quit in our families because we're looking only at ourselves and not at the bigger picture. We don't like the flavor We want something new and more exciting. We take up the voice of Elijah in this sense and say, I quit. Sometimes we want to quit our jobs, our friendships, our ministries for the same reasons. We want to quit on our goals, on our education. And we have excuse after excuse. It's because I'm tired, Lord. God, you see me. I'm so tired, I can't go on in my ministry. I can't go on in my friendship because I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm so busy. Or I'm bored. This isn't fun anymore. I'm bored with my church. I'm bored with my family. I'm bored with my spouse. I'm bored with my job, my friendship, my ministry, my goals, my education. I'm bored. And we put ourselves in the valley of despair. When the truth of all of this, of all of these excuses, I'm bored, I'm busy, I'm tired. The truth of your excuses, that you're really crying out to God and saying, I love sin. I love myself more than the 120,000 people of Nineveh. I love myself more than the bigger picture. I love myself more than I love what God is doing. I love myself more than I love what God is doing. And so you find yourself in the valley of despair. I want to look in the book of Joshua. It talks about that literal valley of despair. Joshua and his army had fought the battle of Jericho. And Jericho was this huge walled city that you couldn't penetrate, that you couldn't get in. 
And the Lord gave Joshua a battle plan. And that battle plan was to march around the city with the priests, with the Ark of the Covenant, and gave them specific instructions that on the last day of marching, that they would shout and the walls would supernaturally fall down. He gave them specific instructions that as they went into Jericho and overtook Jericho, do not take anything out of the city. Don't take any plunder for yourselves, any of their riches for yourselves. And so the walls came down, they overtook the city of Jericho, they come back out, huge victory. The promised land was being overtaken. So the promised land was being given to the nation, the called out nation of God. This was the first of many battles. And the Bible records that they won every single battle that they fought. Every single battle that they fought, they won. It says that one Israelite could put a thousand other men to flight. Supernaturally, they were gifted. They won all their battles except one. And that's the very next battle. They fought against Jericho. And then they go on to fight against Ai. And they decide that they're not going to send all their troops because they had been so victorious over Jericho that they're going to, to fight Ai. They go to fight Ai and they lose. This army of God who had seen supernatural things, they lose. And Joshua is despaired. He is so despaired because now this, all this uh, courage that the men had in their heart, the Bible says it was like water. Their hearts turned to like water. They were not full of courage anymore. Joshua was afraid because he said, all these other kings and all these other countries are going to hear about how we lost and we won't go around winning. God, I thought you said we would win every battle. And the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he said, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove your sin. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove your sin. And, and Joshua did not know, but Achan, one of his soldiers, had taken some of the things from Jericho and hid them and buried them in his tent. And so they find out that it was Achan that had taken these things. And they took Achan out, and this was uh, in the Old Testament with the, the law of Moses, and they took him out to this place that's called the Valley of Achor. That means the Valley of Trouble, the Valley of Sorrow. They take him out to the Valley of Sorrow, and they put him to death. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger, and therefore the place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. The Valley of Trouble it was sin that kept them from winning their victory against Ai. So then they go out after that and they fight against Ai. And they fight and they are so victorious. And the Lord says to them, take up every treasure that you want to take and bring it back with you. If Achan had just waited to the very next battle, he could have had all the riches and all the things that he wanted, but he took it before he was ready. He took it before God said, yes. And it was sin. He took it before God said yes, and it was sin. When God said yes, and the army took all of the, the things that they were allowed to take, they were, they were blessed with all these riches and all these things. And they went on to win every single battle after that that they fought. Every single battle they won. And they took over a mass amount of land that they were able to assign to every tribe in the nation of Israel. How does this relate to us? 
You cannot stand against your enemies until your sin is removed. There's something so magnificent about this passage, something so magnificent about the Valley of Achor. You want to know what's so magnificent about it is that it's mentioned again in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, it's talking about Jesus coming. It's talking about judgment and salvation. And in Isaiah 65, verse 10, it says, The valley of Achor will be a resting place for herds, for my people who seek me. They are literally referring to this valley of trouble where sin was, was killed. When sin dies, it will be a resting place. When sin dies, it will be a resting place. This whole chapter is talking about the coming of Jesus and how sin will be put to death once and for all. That through Jesus, there will be freedom from our sins. So we will no longer literally be stoned for our sins, though we deserve death. We won't die for our sins. It'll be a resting place. So it says all you have to do is confess your sins and Jesus will be faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You no longer have to be killed for your sin. When you confess your sin, it'll be like a resting place. And when you seek God, you'll find him, even though you don't deserve it. Hope in the valley of trouble. Hope in your valley of trouble. And then it talks about the valley of Achor again. Oh man, this is in Hosea chapter two. Verse 15, it says, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. What in the world? The valley of trouble. That means Jesus is coming. And though you walk through the valley, Jesus will come alongside of you and give you a door of hope. We'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of trouble. In the valley of trouble, there will be a door of hope. And that's Jesus. We looked at Jonah wanting to die after seeing supernatural things, caring more about himself than the bigger picture of all the people around him. We looked at, and we compare that to ourselves when we look at our problem. It's so significant when yet there's something, there's a bigger picture that we need to look at. Then we looked at the Israelites who complained about being delivered from slavery. And we too complain about our deliverance because it didn't happen exactly in the flavor or way that we wanted it to happen. And then we looked at Elijah who said, I just want to quit. I'm tired. And we too get to that place where we say, we just want to quit. We want something that's too hard for us. We quit. All of those people wanted to die. There's someone else who, in the New Testament, talks about wanting to, to have some deliverance from their valley of trouble. Not their valley of sin, but their valley of trouble. And this is Jesus himself. And this is Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be taken and beaten and killed. He comes to the garden and he goes to pray. And he says in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell on his face on the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. In verse 42, he repeats that. He says, My father, if it is not possible for you to for it to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus was on the brink of what he knew would be the biggest trial of his entire existence. And he, like Elijah and Jonah and the Israelites, wanted to just not go through this. But he said the words that we need to say. Not my will, but God, yours be done. In my church, in my family, in my friendships, in my relationships, in my job, in my ministry, not my will, but yours be done. Instead of saying, I want to die, I want to quit, I don't like this. We take all that and we filter through, through what Jesus said when he faced a trial. He said, God, this is hard, but not my will. Yours be done. Because he knew, unlike Jonah, that there was a bigger picture. He knew that it was more than just 120,000 people. He knew it was all mankind that rested on his obedience. He could have taken the path of the Israelites and said, I don't want to actually die. Isn't there another way? That would have been easier for, for him, but he said, not my will, but yours. If it can be taken from me, great, but God, I trust you. And like Elijah, who was tired, all the other disciples had literally fell asleep. They were that tired. But Jesus uh, calls out to God and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus became that door of hope for us because of his obedience he became that door of hope for us that when we face sin, we aren't stoned to death. When we face temptation, we can overcome it because of him. There is a door of hope in your valley of trouble, and that's Jesus Christ. He says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. He says, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. He says, come and drink. I will give you living water and you won't thirst anymore. He says, I will give you my very spirit, my Holy Spirit. It will be a comforter to you. It'll be a guide to you. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask and I'll give you wisdom. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to, to you. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He's given us all that freedom. And when he died on the cross, he took on every bit of our shame, every bit of our sin, every bondage, every curse, every iniquity was laid on him. And he took the punishment. He took the stoning. And he turned our valley of acor, our valley of trouble, into a door of hope. Whatever you're facing today, there's a door of hope named Jesus Christ. All your excuses pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. Today, if you would turn your eyes on him, turn away from your problems, turn your eyes on Jesus and say, God, I know you see a bigger picture like you did with Jonah. 
God, it may not be my way, but I trust your way. Like the Israelites. God, I might be tired, but I'm going to keep going in the strength of your power. Like in the case of Elijah. And lastly, but not my will, but yours be done, Jesus. God, not my will, but yours be done. And if we pass through all of those things, then we will be very less likely to quit. We'll be a lot less likely to walk away from our church or our family or our job or our goals or our education. Because when we pass through those things and we say, there is a door of hope here. There is a God who has plans for me that are good, plans to prosper me and not to harm me. There's a God that sees more than I see. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you know that God's with you because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. He makes a table in the presence of your enemies. If you feel like you're surrounded, if you feel like you're surrounded by trouble, realize that you're surrounded by God. Look up. The Psalm says, I look up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Your help doesn't come from the hills. Your help comes from God. He is your ever-present help. Ever-present help in times of need. In your valley of despair, call out your need to God because he'll answer you. We don't have because we don't ask. Because we're not seeking because we're seeking our own will and not the will of God. God sees so much more than we see. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Our attitudes have to be that of Jesus Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. My situation is frustrating. My situation is hard, but there's a door of hope, Jesus Christ. There's a bigger picture that only he can see, and I will trust him from the beginning until the end. There is nothing our God can't do. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope or ask in Christ Jesus. Will you take a moment and pray with me? God, we know who you are. You are so big. You are so beyond us. And God, today we want to bow before you. We want to bow every attitude, every anger, every selfishness, every desire that doesn't line up with you. We want to bow all those things before you. God, help us not to be like Jonah, concerned only about ourselves and not the bigger picture. God, help us not to be like the Israelites complaining because you didn't rescue us the way we wanted you to. God, help us not to be Elijah, so tired that we want to quit. God, I pray that we would run and not get weary, that we would walk and not faint, that we would be renewed by you. We would be renewed by the spirit of the living God. Jesus, I pray that you would come and bring peace that passes all understanding. God, I pray that we would be renewed by setting our minds on you, that we would be refreshed with living water today. I pray that our eyes would focus on you. Every evil thing would bow before you that our desires would become so little, that God, you would be raised up, that you would become the highest priority in our lives. Everything pales in comparison to you. Jesus, we know that you are a door of hope in our valley of trouble. Jesus, you are able. 
We love you and we trust you with our very situation. With the very situation that we're going through right now, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.